Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. This passage that we're coming into today is quite amazing. Uh, We've come out of the passage in chapter 4 where the Lord Jesus has been doing miracles and healing and uh, healing on the Sabbath and the religious leaders of the day got themselves all out of shape over him healing on the Sabbath and missing the wonder of what God does. But as we come into chapter 5 and the latter part of chapter 5, I wanted to use the passage in Ezekiel to set a bit of a background for you. This beautiful picture of the omniscience of God, of the, the ability of God to know all things, see all things. Our God is ever-present. Our God is all-powerful. His knowledge has no limit. His ability is unshackled. There is no interruption, no, nothing that the Lord does not know. And this tries to encapture that picture of God. God revealed himself to Ezekiel and couldn't show Ezekiel his glory because that would have killed Ezekiel. So God revealed him his, his power and his majesty through this vision. These visions come at separate times during the Old Testament, critical times, all the time, each time there to reveal the character of God. The men that we're going to see in chapter 5 were devoted to the knowledge of God. They believed God was incredibly holy. They held God in such awe and such honour that when they were writing God's name down, my understanding is that they would take a new pen, they would write the first letter, and then they would throw that pen away and get a new pen and write the second letter. There was a washing of hands ceremony that went on. Even if the king entered the room when a scribe was writing the name of Jehovah, they were not to stop writing the name even in the presence of the king. Such was the reverence for God's holy name. I wanted you to know that because John chapter 5 is sort of set on the back of that. You've got a group of men who revere the name of God and they revere the word of God so greatly. And yet, as you'll see, they completely missed the forest for the trees. Completely misunderstood who Jesus Christ was. And this will help you understand why they were so angry with him. In chapter 4, as we move through the first miracle and as we move through the early part of John chapter 4, you'll see that the Pharisees had moved from being angry with Jesus because he was doing things on the Sabbath and doing miracles that they couldn't explain other than God being involved. But now, as we move into the latter part of chapter 5, he claims to be equal with God. And these people revered the name of God so much, this just incensed them. This is totally beyond their capacities it was to, to grasp this. And it didn't move them to faith and it didn't move them to belief. It moved them to murderous contempt towards Jesus. As you'll see in the first part of John chapter chapter 5, verse 18, it reads, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. And what I want to do is take you through this great manifesto of where Jesus, even under the threat of death, you would think that he might just back off a little bit and give him a bit of room to breathe, but he doesn't. He just smashes them. He just comes out and explains to them in beautiful, theological, incredible depth 
He explains to them just how majestic and powerful and how, in fact, he is equal with God. He, in fact, is God in the flesh. He is, as the word of God tells us, he is the son of God. And you think, well, that's really awesome. But what has that got to do with me? It's got everything to do with you. And have a look at this next passage as we move into the book of John. This is the, the latter part of the book of John. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written so that you may believe in, uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life. So the book of John was written that you might understand who Jesus is, that he's not just an ordinary man. In fact, he's the Son of God. And that by believing in what he has done and what he says and understanding his nature, that he in fact is God in the flesh, you will come to saving faith. Not a, a new head knowledge, not I've learnt something new about Jesus, but you'll come to a place where the truth of that is moved to your heart and you will believe upon him for salvation. We've got a bit of work to do. In the morning service, the earlier service, I got uh, moving from life to death. Um, that just like that, I kept saying we're going from life to death instead of we're going from death to life. So we've got to actually work with the morning service to save all those people that went from life to death. One guy came up and said he'd like his money back because that wasn't what he bought into. So you'll forgive me if I get a bit excited and get those mixed up as we move along. Let's pray and then I want to take you through a few of these passages. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today and these precious people that have gathered to hear your word and to hear from you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are incredibly majestic. You are God in the flesh. You are all-powerful, all-knowing. You are holy, holy, holy. We thank you that you are the author of life. We thank you that you are just like the Father in nature and in work. We thank you that you are the giver of life, that you are the judge, and that you are holy. And we pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come into these few verses, we're going to move through verses 19 to 47. Uh, some men who are much more gifted than me and much more scholarly than me have only taken four hours to preach through this passage. So strap yourselves in. We're here for quite some time. People will bring you food, and those that faint and die will be carried out. So just... Ease back into your chair and let's have some fun. This is an amazing passage because just in a, a very short time, Jesus is able to communicate with such eloquence that he is actually equal to God. This just blew their minds. They were incredibly offended by this because they revered the name of God but didn't understand the message of God. They loved the word of God, but in their heart, they hadn't embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus explains that he is equal with God, both in nature and through his work, through his power. And because he's equal with God in these ways, he should have been honored and he should have been worshipped. But in fact, he was utterly rejected. We've got to be careful we don't do the same. Come with me and have a look up on the screen, verses 19 to 20. The first claim that Jesus makes, there actually are many here, and we're going to just touch on a few, but he is one with the Father in action. Everything that the Father does, the Son does. What the Father communicates to him is what the Son does. He doesn't do anything apart from what the Father tells him to do. They move in complete 
unison together. Together, Whatever is on the father's heart is on the son's heart. Such is their love for each other, their communion together. They are one and yet completely separate in identity. And yet Jesus here makes a very clear statement. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all the things that he is doing. Greater works than these will he show him so that they may marvel. When he says truly, truly, what he is communicating there in our language is what I'm about to tell you is beyond contradiction. What I'm about to communicate to you must be accepted by you because it's absolute truth. What I'm about to communicate to you is beyond contradiction. It's absolute truth and therefore it is binding upon you to act. You will be held accountable for it. Truly, truly, he says, I say to you, whatever the Father does is what I do. The Father and I love each other. And the word that he uses for love in these passages is not the word you would expect. You would expect, if you know a little bit about the original language, which is more than I know, and that is that this word is not agape, which is godly love. The word is actually phileo, which means brotherly love. And it communicates this aspect of love between friends that have a, a deep delight in sharing things together. And what it really does is it honours wonderfully that the son and the father are two separate identities. And they have this brotherly love together. It's a phileo love where what the father does is what the son does. And yet it still honours the fact that the father is separate or not separate, but a different personality, a person to the son. He's claiming that everything he does is exactly what the father does. What he's claiming in the minds of the religious leaders of the day, and they had no doubt about it at all. He was saying, I am equal with the father both in nature and in my work, completely incense them. What it's really communicating is what R. Kent Hughes says in this quote, those who were with Christ Jesus saw the Father. They saw the Father smile, they heard the Father's teaching, they observed the Father's tender touch and tremble before his wrath. If we want to see what the Father does, all we have to do is look at Christ. It's completely amazing. I think this just blows my mind when I look at the New Testament and I let my mind run through the, the pictures and the stories and the imagery of Christ walking on the earth. And the blind man, as he touched the blind man, he spat on the ground and he made mud and he put it on his eyes and he healed him. We see the Father's mercy and we see the Father's heart right there. That was the Father's work. That was the Son's work. When he approached the woman at the well a little bit earlier on in the book of John and he spoke to her about her life and revealed himself to know all things. There we saw the father. The, the father cared about that woman. When all the people came out from that community of Sakaar and he ministered to them, we see the, the heart of the father, not just for the Jews, but for all humanity because the father and the son are one. I, I just, that's breathtaking. When he called Lazarus out of the tomb, we see the Father's heart. We hear the Father's voice. We see what matters to our Heavenly Father. The Father and the Son are one. That's what Jesus was claiming. 
We should respond to that in belief and in faith, but they responded to it with rage and with anger. They were torn apart by the anger. They wanted to kill him. The second claim that he makes is just as profound, more profound. It says in verses 21 and 24 and 26, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son Uh, So also the Son gives life to whom he will. Again, he says, truly, truly. In other words, this is beyond contradiction. You can't contradict this, and you must respond to it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. The Son has the power to give life, and, and life eternal. It's, it's, much, it's much deeper than that. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from not life to death, but from death to life. <laughs> this is really cool. Because what he's saying here is probably more broad than what we can comprehend at first. He's basically communicating Jesus Christ is the author of life. Nothing that was made was made without him. He is the, 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 where life came from. He, Life originates from him. He is the fount of life. He is the giver of life. It's like a picture of the world and covered over the face of the world is spiritually dead humanity. Corpses laying everywhere. And our precious Lord walking amongst them, giving life, raising up these dead bodies, these dead bones, because he's the giver of life. He's the giver of life now, and he points to the reality that there'll come a day when he will resurrect all those that have fallen asleep. He's the giver of life. Verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. An hour is coming and it's here. And he's speaking about you and me. He's speaking about the disciples. He's speaking about his ministry when he spoke to people and they responded to him in faith and they received forgiveness of their sins and they became a child of God. And that's still happening in our community. That's what happened in my life when I was younger. As the Holy Spirit wooed me, as the Holy Spirit opened the word of God to me and enabled me to be able to believe and God saved me and forgave me of my sins and brought me from death to life. And this has this wonderful ministry that the Father is giving. This is only what God can do. In the Old Testament, one of the kings was exclaiming, I cannot raise this man to life. And in that, in that exclamation, what he's communicating is, I don't have that power. Only God has the power to give life. I can take it. And the way you're talking, I'm going to exercise that in a minute. But I cannot give life. Only God does that. Everybody knew that. And here, Jesus is showing that the Father has given him the right to give us life. In him is life. Are you ready? I'm going to take you through just 20 or 30 passages. About 20. Hang on quickly as we move through John and get the grip of what's happening here as we move through it quickly. John chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Right there at the beginning of John, Jesus claims that he is life, and that life was the light of men. In other words, we do not have life apart from what God has given to us. Physically and spiritually. John 3.15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is the author and the giver of life and life eternal. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal... Come on. This is going to go a lot faster if you get on board, all right? I know that some of you have got a beautiful roast piece of pork home with a crackling on it and a lovely roast pumpkin and carrots with onions and you're just waiting. So we can do this before 2 o'clock. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains. We are all who are unregenerate, unborn again. We were all once under the wrath of God. We were all disobedient. And through the great mercy of God, He revealed Himself to us. And we were able to respond to him in faith. And this faith was not of our own. It was a gift of God or glory to God. And as we responded in faith, he gave us himself. And now we have the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in us in all of his fullness through the Holy Spirit. And we have moved from death to life. Praise his holy name. Chapter 4, verse 10, And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Because he gives eternal life. Chapter 5, verse 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. But they bear witness about me, Jesus says. We'll touch on that a bit later. These religious people searched the word of God, seeking to find life, but their hearts were so encaptured by their own wickedness and by their own unbelief that even when life himself stood in front of them, they couldn't see it. This is a picture of the man at the well, the man at the pool. John chapter 6 and verse 27. Do not work for food that perishes. Who's sick of doing that? <laughs> do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you for the God the father has set a seal on him John 6.33 for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world John 6.35 Jesus said to them I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst Jesus is not just a giver of life. He is the author of life. He is the fount of life. He's the only one who can give us spiritual life. John 6, 68. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of... That's exactly right. He was a mumbler too. You have the words of eternal life. He had, Simon Peter had come to an incredible revelation. It's a revelation that only the Spirit of God does in you and works in you. And as he had met the Lord Jesus Christ and he'd seen the miracles and he'd seen the work and he'd heard him speak, he believed upon him and the Spirit of God moved on him and gave him the revelation that only Jesus Christ had the words of life. He was the author of life. And so this, this was a heartfelt cry. This was a, a cry that came deep from within Peter's guts. God, where can we go? Jesus, whom else will we go to? Because you have the words of life. And I hunger for that life. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have, amen, and have life abundantly. 
Jesus is the author. I give them eternal life, John 10, 28, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. This is amazing. No one has this power except for God and Father, Son and Holy Spirit. John 20 and 31, but these things are written. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see how powerful this passage is now? You begin to get a grasp of how it knocked them back on their heels to hear that Jesus Christ is the author of life and is able to give eternal life to anyone whom he chooses. And he's offering that to us if we will believe in him. He's given us the grace to believe in him. He's given us the faith to act upon that. What a privilege. Quickly, we want to look at three witnesses. Oh man, we've got so much to go through yet. If we move into verses, come down with me in your Bibles. um, And let's begin to look at verse 36 together. Actually, come back to 23. I'm sorry, 32 and 33. Look down your Bibles. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. It's up on the screen for you. And what we can do is we can, in our minds, as we read the passage, we can easily jump to and think he's talking about John, but he's actually not talking about John. He's talking about God the Father. What he's saying is God the Father has given me these witnesses. God the Father has given you these witnesses because you are so hard of heart that you will not believe me. You will not receive my word. And so therefore, I will, in a sense, I'll play your game. And and God the Father will show you that I have been testified to by others that I am the I am, that I am God. And the first of those that God has sent is John. Verse 33, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. When I read that, I thought it was a typo. So I rang up the people that wrote the ESV and I started to dress them down. I said, what's going on with you guys? But it's not a typo. What he's saying is, you religious leaders believe that John was a prophet. And you actually sent people to him. You you testified that John was somebody who spoke the word of God. You saw John's light shining and John's light shine brilliantly. He was not the light, but his light shone brilliantly. He was one who pointed to one that was coming. And you were willing to receive John's testimony and now the one that he's testified about is standing before you and yet you will not believe me because your hearts have been hardened with unbelief. John was a prophet sent from God. They believed his words. Do you remember what John said when he saw Jesus? Did he not cry out, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away This is the lamb who was going to die for us, the spotless lamb who knew no sin. And John knew it. The words divinely came out of his mouth and welled up in his heart. And yet, here I am standing before you, Jesus says, and you will not receive me. And yet John bore witness to me. 5.36, we read that the miracles that Jesus did testified to his divine nature also but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me 
that the Father... Now, this was blasphemy. Because what he is saying is that I am doing the work of God. God is revealing what work I have to do. And by the way, he had just healed a man on the Sabbath. And they'd got their textual knickers in and not over that. They missed the forest for the trees again. They didn't see that this man who had done this wonderful miracle was in fact God in the flesh. They were more concerned about dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And they missed it completely because of the hardness of their hearts. Is this starting to make you a bit nervous? Because your heart can be just like that heart. My heart can be so hard that I miss what God is doing. But these miracles that Jesus did, no one ever in the Gospels, please read through and correct me if I'm wrong, nobody ever said anything other than these are powerful miracles and that this man must be a prophet, this man must be from God because no one can do what he is doing. And they very well knew that. And he's just pointing it out to them again. Thirdly, the witness of Jesus' identity is revealed in the scriptures. These litigious leaders. I was never clever enough to be litigious. I feel like the Lord saved me. So these litigious people who studied the scriptures and they knew them. They had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. And they probably did that before they were 12 years of age. Incredible. Did they? In terms of their diligence and their, their concern. And this is what Jesus says to them in 38 to 40. And you do not have this word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom has sent, who sent me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life, because again, I am the author of life. You study the very scriptures, and there's these huge signposts all the way through that point to the fact that I am the Messiah, the Saviour that the Old Testament speaks about. And yet, because of your unbelief, remember Romans chapter 1, verse 18? We, the picture of humanity in Romans is that we have had enough revelation from God to believe, but we choose to willfully suppress the truth. We choose to willfully suppress the truth. We choose to unbelieve. We choose not to believe God. And this is a picture of the depravity of humanity's heart as they choose not to believe the witness of God. In the very little bit of time we've got left, I just want to touch on the last few verses in this beautiful, beautiful chapter, and we really haven't done it justice this morning. But he says to them as we come down, I want you to come down to verse 40 with me, and you're going to have to come into your Bibles because I'm going to jump off the screen and into your Bibles. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life, he says, because of your unbelief. But I know that you don't have the love of God within you. I know that you haven't received me. I know that you haven't received the love of God. And the reason I know that is because the way that you are treating me. You refuse to believe me. You refuse to honour me. If you'd actually understood and had a softness of heart, you would have seen that I am God in the flesh. And the love that you have, if you had the love of God, it would have moved you to honour me. That would have moved you to worship me. But you refuse to do this because of your unbelief. You do it for other people, he says. 
when you have a, a visiting scholar come from another town or when you have some prophet come in and he speaks so highly about you and he booms you up and your chest is all puffed out, you receive his testimony, you receive his honour because it makes you feel good and you, and you heap praise on him and there's this picture of a little backslapping session going on where they're all hugging each other and booming one another up. And he says, yet you will not even receive the glory and the testimony of God. You refuse to do it. So wicked, so wicked is your unbelief. And then he finishes off with this just masterful, masterful declaration. Do not think that I will accuse you. Because this part of Jesus' ministry, he comes not as the accuser, not as the judge, but he comes as the saviour. I have come not to condemn you, but I have come that I might give you eternal life. I haven't come to condemn you. I have come to die in your place. I have not come to be served by you. I have come that I might serve you. Isn't that incredible? This is the heart of God. This is God speaking to you. The one who created the heaven, the one who made you, says, I have come, not come to condemn you. I've come to give you life and life eternal. So beautiful is our God. And then he says this wonderful statement. Do not think that I've come to accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. That would have made the hair raise up on the neck. They're thinking, who is that, I wonder? Who, who dare would accuse us? And then he points back to Moses. And this would have been a real kick in the guts. Because they held Moses as their father. They could track their birthright. They could, they could track their bloodline back to Moses. And as religious leaders, they claimed because they were in the line of Moses and that they adhered to the ridiculous laws that they had made up on top of God's law that, that gave them entry into the kingdom of God. In fact, what he says was, Moses actually wrote about me. Had you come to the scriptures with a soft heart, with a believing heart, you would have seen that Moses called you to believe in me. And their whole world was just, ripped out from under them like that. We've got to be believing people, don't we? Do you see the danger in us as Christians getting to a point where we become so presumptuous about who we are, so presumptuous about our birthright, about our divine right, that we've long passed, moved past actually daily believing, daily enjoying, daily going and drawing on the life that the Lord Jesus has for us. We, we've moved past having a, an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where we just know how to talk the talk and walk the walk. How grieved he must be by our behaviour. I want to close out by reading another 30 passages of Scripture. That was worth a laugh. I'm really disappointed. Let me read to you John chapter 20 as we close. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, but I want to come down to 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the... It's up there on the screen for you, that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The book of John has been written to you. Jesus so eloquently reveals himself to you in all of his glory, and it's not there so that we can develop our intellectual understanding of God's word. It's there to break our hearts and to bow the knee and for us to humble ourselves before him again and declare, I believe in you.
And I find my life not in my wealth and not in my career and not in my birthright and not in my name, but I find life in you and you alone. Because only you have the words of life. Only you pay the price that I could not pay. And so I humble myself before you. And I do the work of faith. And I do the work of repentance, which is a gift from your spirit to me. Romans 10 and verses 9 and 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be... Do you believe in your heart? Have you come to a place where you've been broken before God and you have felt his spirit move upon you? And nothing matters more to you than to have him as your Lord and Saviour and to know his forgiveness and his grace. He says, you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Amen. I hope I didn't say from life to death too many times in that message. Because now I want to give you an opportunity to stand and cry out to God that you might come from death to life. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Our musicians will come forward and lead us in a song in a moment. But if you've never prayed and yet today the Holy Spirit has moved upon you as I've spoken, He certainly moved upon me as I prepared this message and I have so much more I'd like to say to you. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a character of old. He is the Son of God. He is the author of life, the forgiver of sins. He is the one who will come as judge. He is altogether wonderful. So let's just bow our heads and I'm going to lead you in prayer. And if you've never prayed to receive Christ, then I invite you to pray with me. If you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've long forgotten to wake up and thinking, God, I believe in you. And it changes the way I speak to my wife and the way I speak to my children. I believe in you. Then you can pray too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you and we thank you so much for sending the Lord Jesus to die in our place. We recognize that he is the author and giver of life. We humble ourselves before you, not just intellectually, but in our hearts. And we are... We ask you to forgive us for our unbelief and the way that has led us to sin. We come before you and we declare that we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he is the Son of God. We believe that he died in our place. We believe that he rose again. We believe that he's seated with you in heaven. Father, we ask you to forgive us thank you that you have moved us by your spirit to that place and given us enough faith to cry out to you and ask you to forgive us of our sins to take control of our lives not just to be a friend but to become into our hearts and be our Lord and our Saviour we pray these things in Jesus name Amen